Many years ago when I was in seminary, I remember hearing all sorts of challenging ideas and concepts that stretched my imagination and caused me to second guess many of the things I learned about God when I was a child. One of the things I learned is how patriarchal the Bible is, which makes sense because the authors come out of a patriarchal understanding of the world. As such, it makes sense they would understand God primarily through a masculine perspective. But that was 2,000 years ago and the world was a very different place. I also learned how the Bible is filled with all types of inconsistencies, at least from a modern perspective. Mythological stories that would rival any story about Greek gods from Zeus to Hades, Hercules to Aphrodite. And it makes sense because the Bible, at least the New Testament, was written around the time of the Greco-Roman Empire. Again, that was like 2,000 years ago and the world was a different place. But of all the ideas I heard in seminary, there was one concept that shook me to the core of my faith. I remember years ago sitting in my systematic theology class discussing the idea of atonement. We were asking if God sent his son to die for us, then doesn't that make God some sort of divine child abuser? Not only a child abuser, but like the worst child abuser of all time. I couldn't believe how I didn't see it from that perspective. It's almost blindingly obvious. Of course, if God sent his son to die for us, that'd be abuse. Actually, worse than abuse. It'd be murder. But then I thought, if Jesus is also God, then does that mean he's killing himself? Or put another way, sacrificing himself? At this point, I realized that my degree in divinity would probably be worthless. Yet now that I'm older, I try to remember that faith does not require logic. That's the whole point of faith to believe in something that's not clear, or maybe not even there. Or as the author of the book of Hebrews put it, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Lately, I've been reading more liberal Christian authors who believe that God did not send his son to die for us. But when I read this, I ask myself, really, isn't this the entire Christian thing? Isn't this what it's all about? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, yada, yada, yada. Or Jesus saying the son of man must suffer many things. Or when he was in Gethsemane, the garden of Gethsemane, saying, Father, if it's your will, pass this cup, but not my will, yours be done. I just don't think there's a Christianity without the sacrifice of Christ. But that was 2,000 years ago, and the world was a very different place. But also... Maybe we no longer understand the meaning of sacrifice. There was a time when humans had to sacrifice time and energy into farming and tilling the land. They had to go hunting and wait hours and hours and hours to capture their prey if they wanted anything to eat that night. Nowadays we can conveniently go to the grocery store and buy our food, or we could just at the tap of a button on our phone have the food delivered to us. Nevertheless, in order to have life, it does require sacrifice. Even if you are the most compassionate vegan and refuse to eat any meat or eggs, ultimately you will consume the life energy of a plant in order to survive. This transcends theology. It is embedded into the very fabric of our lives. All life on our planet is dependent on the sacrifice of the sun. The sun continues to give more and more of its energy until one day, 
according to scientists millions of years from now, it will run out of hydrogen and die out as a star. Inside our bodies, there are white blood cells that attack and eat other cells that are potentially harmful to our immune system. So even inside our bodies, life is dependent on the death of one in order for the other to live. The Lion King referred to this as the circle of life. It represents cycles in nature and the delicate balance between life and death. I remember some years ago, I spent the winter solstice with one of my sisters who had a relationship with a Native American tribe out in Kentucky. I was amazed by the way they said their prayers. It was so interconnected. They recognized the sun and the moon, the water and winds, Mother Earth for her grains and wheat, grateful for the sacrifice of each chicken or turkey which died so that we might live. And now Jesus in this particular gospel is saying, if you want eternal life, then you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Ancient Jews and Romans saw Christians as completely misguided. There were even rumors that Christians were some sort of cannibal cult-like group because others could not understand this bizarre idea of eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Christ. Then centuries later, Christians who were oppressed started oppressing others. Churches condemned millions of people to hell who did not receive communion. Communion is actually quite simple in its complexity. When we eat some lettuce or an apple, chicken or some fish, that food becomes a part of us. The sacrifice of that plant or animal not only gives us energy, but it literally keeps us alive, at least on a physical level. Likewise, during communion, when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we recognize by our faith the sacrifice of God made through Christ, and by this our spiritual life is renewed and made whole. It was St. Athanasius who said, The Son of God became man so that we might become God. And if we truly want to become like God, at least through the Christian expression of God, then perhaps we should be prepared to make some sort of sacrifice. There's the story of a mother who was preparing pancakes for her sons. Kevin was five years old and Ryan was three. As she was cooking, the boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw an opportunity to teach the boys a lesson about sacrifice. She said, you know, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, I'm going to let my brother have the first pancake. Then she waited to see what the brothers would do. Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, I think you should be Jesus. If you have ever been married or in a long-term committed relationship, then you know it requires some sacrifices. If you have children or an aging parent or somebody who is dependent on you, then you know sacrifices are required. If you have get, gone to college or learned a trade, then you know it requires sacrifices. All of life is filled with sacrifices. And as Christians, we believe that the Son of God made the ultimate sacrifice. The question we might ask ourselves is, what sacrifice does God require of me? Interestingly, in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in Psalms, the psalmist wrote, God, my sacrifice is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. 
this is a heart that has been afflicted. Or as the saints said in my old Baptist church, these are folks who have gone through some stuff. The hardships of life have taught them to be humble, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and even quicker to forgive. God, my sacrifice is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And this psalm was not written when David was a shepherd, but rather when he was a king. And the reason he was able to find this sort of humility is because the prophet Nathan had just exposed David to his sins. So does this, does this mean that we need to walk around feeling guilty, thinking God wants us to be the worm of the earth? No, we've actually done enough of that as Christians. Rather, when we eat the bread and drink the wine, we recognize something much, much bigger than us is taking place. We recognize the sun that provides us light and warmth and energy. We recognize Mother Earth who constantly gives her fruit, asking nothing in return but to be cherished and adored, or at least respected. We recognize that if not for the plants and animals that we consume, then we will have no life. We recognize the sacrifices of our parents or guardians and their parents and their ancestors. And as Christians, we recognize that God who put all of this beautiful and mysterious and unpredictable world together loves us so much that he's willing to die for us. That's the gospel. That is why we eat the bread and drink the wine. It is not for the righteous, but for sinners just like me.